Welcome to There's More to That Story, the most popular podcast in the country where TJ Mercer talks to you about storytelling and things that are interested. Interested. I did that last week. You didn't hear it, but there were like five takes where I said, and things that are interested, things that are interested. It just happened over and over and over again. Finally, I finally said it right. Things that are interesting to storytellers and story lovers. And uh, I cut them out. I should have left it in just because it'd be funny. Just interested, 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 interesting. I don't like that. That would be humorous. Today we are going to be talking about both Home Alone movies because Chris Columbus is on record as saying Home Alone 2 is basically a remake of Home Alone 1. And I say both because all the ones after that were silly and not Home Alone movies. They're not canon, is what I'm getting at. Uh, They take place in Chicago, I believe. I think. I never saw the fourth one. So I'm going to try something a little bit different with this story, this podcast episode. I'm going to try and be a little bit more specific. So Home Alone 1, when it came out, it actually had a very fast turnaround for a sequel. Home Alone 2 came out two years after Home Alone 1. Home Alone 1 was one of the highest grossing movies of all time when it came out. It made an absurd amount of money. For a long time, it was like number 7 in the 10 highest grossing films of all time. It was crazy how much money that movie made. And so the studio said, hey, we should make another one. And, you know, it's a pretty easy concept to write another script for that. And so they turned around and made another one really quick. It seems like a very silly and simple idea, but I want to explore something specific about this movie because a lot of people do not know it, but this movie, both of them were written by one of the masters of storytelling in Hollywood history, and that is John Hughes. He was the king of 80s comedies. He made Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, most of the Brat Pack movies, really. And one thing you cannot deny about him is he knows how to make a story. So I wanted to look at the Rube Goldberg machine that is the Home Alone movies. He is very good at one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. The premise, if you explain it to people, if you just give the bare bones of what happens in these movies, it leaves you with a lot of questions. So if you were to say... So it's about a nine-year-old kid, ten-year-old kid, somewhere around there. I don't remember if he says how old he is in any of the movie, in either of the movies. Ten-year-old kid is left by his family when they go on vacation to France, and meanwhile there are burglars that are trying to break into his house, and he builds booby traps to stop them. Now that comes with a lot of questions. How in the world? Does a family forget about their kid when they're going to freaking Paris? Why doesn't the kid call the police when he knows that there are burglars coming to his house? And enough advance notice for him to build booby traps in his house. There's a lot of things that pop into your head that you just think that's not a very plausible story. But John Hughes is really, really good at planning the layout of the story. And it's the same for Home Alone 2. A kid accidentally go Same kid. That's, that's the most unbelievable part, is that this happens twice to a kid. Same kid. His family goes on vacation to Florida, and he accidentally flies to New York instead. 
he runs into the same burglars, and this time he finds out that they're going to break into a toy store and steal all the money, and so he lures them to a place where he has built another round of traps. And that one seems even more ridiculous, but when you're watching the movie, there is a step-by-step progression of how we got to where we end up. And John Hughes is very good at doing that, and it all makes sense. If you're told the plot of the story, you go into it expecting to be rolling your eyes constantly. But while you're watching the movie, you don't. He takes you along with slowly increasing breadcrumbs until you completely buy into what's happening. While it's happening, it doesn't seem very implausible. One thing I've said for a while is the mark of a great storyteller is not a lack of plot holes inside of a story. The mark of a good storyteller is how many plot holes no one notices while they're engaged in the story. The famous one is inside of Jaws at the very end when Brody shoots the scuba tank and it explodes and kills the shark. Most people are unaware of this, but that can't happen. A scuba tank will not explode if it's ruptured. It'll Air will release, and it'll just spray around and shoot all over the place. Uh, Mythbusters did a show on it. And Peter Benchley was on set while filming Jaws, uh, the author of Jaws, and that's not how the book ends. And when he found out that's how Steven Spielberg wanted to end it, he said that wouldn't happen. That's ridiculous. And George George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg said... If I do this, if I make this movie right, no one will notice or care. They will want that shark to die any way we can kill it. And he was right. It was a long time. It was until Mythbusters before anybody really even questioned that, except for actual scuba divers. Because while you're watching Jaws, Spielberg was right. You are ready for anything to kill this shark and for Brody to come out of it alive. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) So, yes, Home Alone probably does have a lot of problems inside the story, but you get strung along and you don't notice while you're watching the movie. So let's just go through the steps of how Kevin McAllister gets left home alone. So we're introduced to his family, and first of all, we are shown that at the moment, the house he lives in is a madhouse. Just craziness is going on. And you find out that the reason it is so packed and there's people everywhere. First, you have Kevin and his family. And I think there's like four or five of them, the kids (laughs) and or maybe six. It's five or six kids inside of this family. And then the dad's brother and his kids are all there and they have like five or six kids too. So that's a lot to begin with right there. And But also the uncle that they are going to visit in Paris, he got a job and he moved to Paris, but he didn't want to uproot his kids in the middle of the school year. So his two kids are currently living in that house too, which gives a grand total of either 10 or 12 kids and four adults inside of this house at one time. And that is just chaos. Further point, John Hughes is very good at storytelling because he, before we are told why there are so many kids and people running around this house, he shows us by using a joke. Joe Pesci is standing there and he's dressed as a cop 
to disguise himself to scope out houses and find out what people's holiday plans are. But he's standing there and he keeps getting kids' attention. He says, hey, uh, are your parents here? Yes, but they don't live here. What? What does that mean? And then the kid wanders off. Hey, are, are your parents here? No, my parents are in Paris. Okay. You, are your parents here? Yes, but they don't live here. Ah! And it just keeps going. And then finally he sees an adult and he's like, uh, sir, sir, can I talk to you? Uh, no, it's my brother's place. I'll be, uh, bye. Ah! <laughs> and it's just really entertaining because you get frustrated with Joe Pesci. You, you have no idea what's going on in this house. It is total chaos. You actually see two kids like sword fighting on the stairs just randomly which is something kids do if they have two swords like they do inside of this movie that's one so the house is in complete chaos and disarray in the first place then kevin is told that he is going to have to sleep with his cousin fuller who everyone like five four or five people maybe maybe as little as three but four or five people tell him that if fuller has anything to drink he will wet the bed no one wants to sleep with the bed wetter. So Kevin accidentally causes this huge mess at dinner. Stuff gets spilled. And this is the most unbelievable one that happens. Stuff gets spilled on the plane tickets. And one ticket gets thrown away. Which back then, I don't think you had to have a name assigned to a ticket. But so one ticket is missing. So then Kevin gets in big trouble. And he is sent upstairs to the third floor and he says, I don't want to sleep on the third floor. It's scary up there. And his mom says, well, Fuller will be up later. And he says, what? No, Fuller will wet the bed. And she's mad at him. So she says, fine, Fuller won't sleep up there with you. You'll sleep up there by yourself. Then that night, uh, there's a really big windstorm and a tree falls on the power lines and the power goes out. So this is the perfect storm that we have that has been set up one step at a time to the point that it's actually kind of believable, with the exception of the ticket thing. That one is a little bit of a reach. But so we have a house in complete chaos. We have a ticket that has gone missing and no one really knew about it because it was in napkins they were using to wipe up the mess and it just got picked up and thrown away. We have a kid on the, asleep on the third floor by himself and the power goes out. That means that... They wake up in the morning. They had to leave at 8 a.m., which is, you know, that's not awful to get up at, but you're not guaranteed for it to happen. So they wake up at, I think it's like, it may be at 8 a.m. when they wake up. And so now all hell breaks loose. Everybody is running around, grabbing everything that they can, throwing it into the cars, grabbing all their stuff. And then they go and they get inside the vans and they go to the airport. They almost miss their flight. They rush on and that's it. They're on their way to Paris. They made it. So what we had was we had a kid who was by himself, the only person on the third floor. So yeah, they forgot to wake him up. And that makes perfect sense. A ticket was missing. So we have a house that was already in chaos pushed into the absolute chaos of trying to get uh, 14, uh, let's say 14, 16 maybe people already at the same time in about five minutes so they don't miss their flight. We have a kid that's on the third floor who's the only one up there and could easily be forgotten about inside the situation. And there's a ticket missing. So no one notices that there's somebody who doesn't have their ticket. Because that would be an easy indicator that, hey, who's is this? Who's not here? Then there's also an added thing of when they're 
doing a head count of kids because you have to do that. I'm the oldest of five, and periodically I would just hear my parents mutter under their breath while we were out anywhere. One, two, three, four, five. And so you just do head counts. It happens. There's a neighbor kid who happens to wander over because he's curious about the airport vans, and he gets counted. So they're pretty sure that all the people are there. And it's just this perfect storm, and none of it happens all at the same time. So you're introduced, total chaos. Then you see the incident of the ticket being thrown away. That's like mm, 8 to 15 minutes later. Uh, So you've had, you know, you've accepted the chaos. Then you have Kevin being put upstairs by himself. And that makes complete sense, too, because you're like, well, Kevin's being kind of a brat right now, and everybody's kind of mad at him, so yeah. That would probably happen when a mom is at her wit's end. Then you have the power go out. Then you get thrown into the chaos of the morning because everyone overslept. While you're watching that, and it's pretty entertaining and funny, then you have the kid wander over, and he's done really well, and so you just kind of accept that that happened. And when you see the older daughter count that kid, she just reaches over, grabs his head, says like eight, and then keeps going, you think, oh no... Because you've accepted, you've accepted everything else up to this point, and so that one is just like, yeah, yeah, that, okay, I see where this is going. That's that makes perfect sense. And so you end up with this kid being left at home, and no one noticing that he's gone until they're in the air. Now I don't know how believable that sounds when you hear me list it out, but you have to admit if you've seen the movie that it makes perfect sense while you're watching it. Nothing about that seems far-fetched inside of the build-up for the story. So the next thing that happens that can be kind of unbelievable is the kid setting all the booby traps in the house. Well, we get shown his ingenuity earlier inside of the movies. When the burglars first try and break into the house, it's at night, and he has the forethought to turn on all the lights in the house, which makes the burglars think, oh no, there's somebody, the family's still here, let's get out of here. So they leave. And then he sees them later and assumes something bad is going on because they follow him. And he runs away, and then he says, all right, if they come back to my house, I'll be ready for them. And he takes a bunch of standees and stuff and makes it look like there's a party going on inside the house. And so they think, oh, darn, they're still home. And so we've seen that Kevin is good at thinking on his feet quickly to get rid of them. Then later he overhears from like the attic window that they're going to come back and they know that he's there by himself. And so he thinks, okay, I can't just trick them. I have to beat them somehow. Now we come to the part that most people complain about if they didn't pay attention to the movie or if they've forgotten. And that is, why doesn't Kevin call the police? Well, there's actually a very good reason for why Kevin doesn't call the police. Because earlier in the movie, he went to a drugstore to purchase a toothbrush. And he asked the clerk a question. He asked if the toothbrush had been approved by the American Dental Association because he's that kind of child. Uh, boy. Some people. And while they're discussing it, the scary man from the neighborhood, who we've been introduced to before as a, a man who killed his whole family with a shovel, which is another breadcrumb that John Hughes gives us, which is pretty brilliant because you really don't see where it's going the first time you see it. You, you're, the way they film it, you're generally kind of creeped out by this guy. Then he shows up at the drugstore. Kevin's terrified of him. And so he backs out and runs the drug, out of the drugstore, but he has the toothbrush on him. And he gets chased by our clerk, 
who then says that he's a shoplifter. And then the cop chases after Kevin. And Kevin runs away from the cop because he doesn't want to get arrested. And after getting away from the cop, he looks at the toothbrush and just goes, I'm a criminal. So in Kevin's eyes or mind, he can't call the police. He's a wanted man. That's why he does not call the cops is because he doesn't want to get arrested. In his br- and in his child brain, he deserves to get arrested because he stole something and the police know about it. So that's why Kevin doesn't call the police. So Home Alone is actually a very, very well-constructed story. It gives you all of these little pieces that slowly build onto each other inside of a narrative that makes sense. The end product, if you were to just see the ending, doesn't make any sense to you. None of it does. Why would any of that happen? Oh, I forgot to mention, in Kevin's ingenuity, we also have the infamous uh, Keep the Change, You Filthy Animal segment with the firecrackers and the videotape. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, that's what a good storyteller does, is they just slowly build things up like that. So you get to a point that's totally unbelievable by slowly taking you along a believable stretch. Home Alone 2 works very similarly. Kevin gets to the airport this time, but he gets separated from his family because he wants batteries out of his dad's backpack for his little... It's a talk boy, if you people remember that thing. It exists only because of this movie, honestly. It's like a little tape player recorder thingy. Anyway, he wants batteries for it, and he gets separated from his family, and a guy runs past who has the same coat as his dad. So he follows that guy, and then he's in a hurry because he sees the plane door being closed, and he bumps into the lady, the not a stewardess because she doesn't go on the plane, the airport person. He runs into her. All of the tickets she's holding get scattered, including his, and he says, I just saw my dad run out to that plane. Please, you gotta let me on. My whole family's on there. She says, okay. They take him on, even though she can't look at his ticket because it's mixed into the pile. She has no idea which one is his. Uh, The world before 9-11, when people were just lenient like that. And he sees the guy that he saw. He sees his coat, and he assumes, oh, my family's on this plane. So he sits down inside of an empty chair. He realizes once he gets to the airport uh, in New York that my family's not on this airplane. And then he looks out the window and he's like, holy cow, where am I? This is not Florida where I was supposed to go. And that does that one seems a little bit more far-fetched, but it can happen. It seems a lot far-fetched now, as I said, instead of a post-9-11 world where, you know, airport security is just obscene in more ways than one. But at the time, it was actually kind of plausible that something like that could happen, especially if you have a plane that's supposed to be leaving right now. You have a you have a 12-year-old kid saying, my family's on this plane. You can't let them leave without me. I have my ticket. It's somewhere inside of this mess. I mean, you know, most flight attendants, airport personnel will probably would probably let a kid on in that situation. You don't want him to be separated from his family. And then inside of this one, the reason why he didn't call the police was the same thing. He used his dad's credit card to get into a really fancy hotel. And the concierge, played by Tim Curry, who's amazing, as always, discovers that the credit card does not belong to Kevin and that it has been reported stolen which means that Kevin is now a wanted man for credit card fraud. So we actually escalated the problem. You know, his parents probably told him, look, you just stole a toothbrush. You could have 
you still could have called the police. Like, it's not that bad. And so they have a situation where it's like, yeah, you're wanted by a major credit card company. They will show you no leniency at all. Especially with the amount of money that Kevin spent. He probably is terrified, not just of the credit card company, but of his parents at this point. Yeah, uh, that's all I've really got to say about uh, Home Alone 1 and 2. Uh, next week, I might take off. I'm not sure. It'll be hard to record one, especially with Christmas Eve and everything being this weekend. So we'll see. If I do a podcast, uh, it'll be on White Christmas, the classic movie with Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen. So please don't be too disappointed if I don't get it out the day after Christmas. But uh, subscribe and email me at more that story podcast if you like this format of me talking about the specifics of the Rube Goldberg machine of this movie. And I, w- I don't want to talk about that every time I do a movie, but uh, for this one, it was just, I, I like the domino effect, uh, the plotting of Home Alone. And so, yeah, uh, let me know if you like this. Uh, let me know if there's a movie you want, to talk- want me to talk about. Uh, let me know if there's a movie you don't like and you want me to talk about. Let me know if there's a movie that you like and you think other people need to know about it. Just email me your stuff about movies at more to that story podcast at gmail.com. And subscribe to my podcast, and I will talk to you guys next time.